Verse 21 says, After the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need, and the sun became hot, and the flakes that had not been picked up melted, and they disappeared. But on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts, for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came, and they asked Moses for an explanation. This is different than what we've done before Moses, and he told them that this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set it aside for what's left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until the morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. And Moses said, eat food, eat this food today, for this is the Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There'll be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food six days, but on the seventh day, this is a Sabbath, there will be no food on the ground. And verse 27 says, and some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. And the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? And it's this thing over and over again. And the children of Israel, they, they fail at obedience. God told them exactly what he wanted to do and exactly how things were going to play out. But each time they try to do it on their own, they try to outsmart God. And if we aren't careful, we'll get in that same mindset. You know, I, I, know, I know the Lord said to do it this way, but you know what? This is another way we can do it, and it'll still get the same results, and it's going to be okay. But that's not how God intended for it. Going on to chapter number 17, verse 1, it says, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place, and eventually they, they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink, so once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. And at this point, it's really starting to get like a broken record. The children of Israel complain, they complain, and they complain. And I think that God kept putting them in the exact same situation because he was trying to to get them to grow. He was trying to show, this is something you've struggled with before, and I provided. So guess what? Call on my name, and I'll provide it. But but they don't do that. They continue to to not trust him, and they complain. And it's so easy for us to look at the children of Israel and shake our heads and say, really, again? You're struggling with the same thing again. How many times does God have to answer that need before you're confident enough just to give it to him in the first place? But so many of us are like the children of Israel. We keep struggling with the same thing over and over again. And instead of learning to trust God, we just keep complaining and trying to fix it on our own until we realize we can't and then we give it to God anyways. Maybe the next time we feel stuck in that that same pattern where it feels like we're just going on in circles, we should just take a moment and ask God, what am I supposed to learn in this? Lord, teach me to rely on you. Lord, keep my eyes on you and on your glory. And, and don't let me focus on the circumstances around me, but God, bring my eyes back to you. The Bible says, quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with this thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? Because they're ready to stone me. And this time Moses isn't even praying. Moses feels threatened by the people that he's trying to lead. He feels like he's attacked. And and at this point, he's probably doubting himself as a leader. And this is this pivotal point for the children of Israel. And verse 5 says, the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people and take your staff, the one that you used when you struck the water out of the Nile, And call some of the elders of Israel to join you. And I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, 
strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the, the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked upon. And once more, God, he solved their needs, but he said, get people together. Let them see. I want them to know that it's me that's doing this. I want them to see my power firsthand. He wanted the people to know it was him that was able to supply each and every need. Even though they would murmur and they would doubt from time to time, the Lord made a point to know that I'm the only answer you have. I'm going to be the one to supply each and every need. And he's trying to reveal himself through each miracle to the children of Israel. Verse 7 says that Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the Lord, because the, the people of Israel argued with Moses and they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? And while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. God was trying to build trust and build faith with the people because there was something that was coming that they were truly going to have to rely on him. Because now it's the time where it's not just obedience that that's going to be the the thing they struggle with, but now they're actually going to have to fight. This is the first time that they're really going to have to get up and fight for themselves because up until now, God just said, if you'll be obedient, then I'll do it for you. But now they're they're getting ready to go to battle. And verse 9 says that Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did uh, what Moses commanded, and he fought the armor of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But when, uh, whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. See, as long as he had his hands raised, the enemies didn't stand a chance. Because you see, what was in Moses' hand was that staff. And what that staff represented was, was the power and the authority of God. And as long as he was able to take the authority of God and raise it up over the enemy, they were able to be victorious. But when he became weak, then that's when he didn't have enough strength to, to hold it up. That's when the enemy was able to gain the advantage, when the authority of God wasn't above them. And you see, at the beginning of the battle, it's easy for us to, to go in there and say, you know what, God, you've got this. Lord, I'm declaring your promise today, and I'm going to stand on your word. But some of us have been at the altar for for weeks, for months. And you know what? It's a little bit harder to come up every Sunday and and raise your hand and say, you know what, God, you you, you got this. And we we start to become a little bit weak, and we start to doubt. And that's when the enemy is able to to gain ground. And that's what's happening here with with Moses, is every time that his hands would, would begin to fall and he would lose strength, the enemy would prevail. Verse 12 says that, Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to set on. They stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. It didn't matter how great of a leader Moses was, he couldn't do it on his own this time. We've got one of the greatest pastors in the world, but if we don't get behind him and support him, we're not going to win together. We're going to fail. But when we get behind him and when we support him, then that's when we're able to be victorious against the enemy. I'll tell you what, this church is blessed with some amazing parents, some amazing grandparents, some amazing prayer warriors. But there comes a time that someone needs to stand up beside them and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hold up your hand with you. I'm going to help you with this fight. You don't have to do it alone because there's going to be times that no matter how dedicated you are, you're going to get weak and you're going you're to want to doubt. And I'm going to be there to make sure that we're all victorious. Because see, victory came because instead of complaining and instead of murmuring about the battle they were facing, they got unified. They didn't look at Moses and say, you know what? What a failure. 
you really think that God called this guy? I mean, he can't even hold up his hands long enough for us to get the victory. All he has to do is just do what God told him, but he's just a failure. And they could sit back and they could complain. They could critique every choice that Moses made during the battle. But you know what would happen if they did that? They would have lost the battle. And countless lives that could have been saved would have been lost forever. This isn't a fun thing to say, but don't you be critiquing or complaining or criticizing those that are trying to feed you, those that are trying to bless you, those that are trying to do the best they can. Because it's easy to sit back and say, you know what? He failed today. He could have done so much better. But when we do that, then that's when we all fail. But when we get united and say, you know what, I'm going to support you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to hold up those hands with you. That's when they're able to become victorious. That's when they're able to achieve the victory. When they learn to stand together, when they learn to be unified. Because guess what? I guarantee that if Moses' hands got tired, I guarantee Aaron and her hands got tired trying to hold up his. I'm sure they wanted to quit, but... But something happened when they became unified. They, they learned to rely on one another. They learned to, to, to play to one, each, one another's strengths. And that's when they were able to, to get the strength to carry on through the battle. And verse 13 says, And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. And after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Joshua, write this down. I, I don't want to forget about this moment, Joshua. We want to make sure we, we have a permanent reminder so we can go back and we can remember the day that the Lord, he fought with us and we were able to be victorious. And not only did we win the battle today, but God gave them a promise that he's going to erase the memory of Amalek. Joshua, write this down. Verse 15 says that Moses built an altar there and he named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, They have raised their fists against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation after generation. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. That banner served as a rallying point. It it served as a symbol of of unity and purpose. It it served as, as Israel's identity. And Moses was declaring in the midst of the fight, the Lord's our rallying point. The Lord's the one that's going to bring us together. It's it's in the Lord that we find our purpose. It's It's the Lord that can unite a people. And you see, it was under the attack of the enemy that the people became united. They went from complaining and and, and being angry at God to to fighting with a purpose. And our identity is found in the power of God. My prayer is that, Lord, help us walk in that faith today, that that you'll be our Yahweh Nisi tonight, that that rallying point, that, that, Lord, we might be able to be unified tonight, that that our identity can be found in the victories and the testimonies that you give this church each and every day. Exodus 18, and uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes back to visit him in the wilderness. And verse 8 says that Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told them about all the hardships they experienced along the way and how the Lord rescued his people from all of their troubles. And Jethro was delighted when he heard about the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all the other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and they joined them in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. 
And if you go back and you, you, you find why, why did Moses and, and Aaron go before Pharaoh to begin with? They said that it wasn't just to let the people go, but it was to go into the wilderness and to make sacrifices unto their, unto their God. The whole reason that Moses was asking for their freedom of Israel was that they could sacrifice before the Lord so that they could worship their God. And over the past few lessons, we've seen Israel face some tough battles. We've heard them complain a whole lot, and we've seen them worship and dance and praise God. But you know what we haven't heard them doing a whole lot of? Sacrificing. Listen, I'm thankful for testimonies. There's nothing that I love more than, than hearing about the amazing thing that God is doing and, and celebrating everything that he's delivered us from. And, and I'll shout and dance with the best of them because my God's worthy of every praise and glory. But if we are truly to be the children of God, there's going to come in a time that we need to sacrifice before the Lord. Because it's that, that time of sacrifice that, that draws us closer to him. Verse 13 says that the next day Moses took his seat to hear people's disputes against each other, and they waited before him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? What are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do this all alone while everyone else stands around you from morning till evening? Moses, why in the world are you trying to do everything yourself? You've told me about this great vision that, that God has for you and how you're going to lead these people into the promised land, but, but you're stuck doing busy work all day long. That's all you're doing. You've got this big task ahead of you, and if you truly want to lead these people, you can't be, be solving every little dispute from sun up to sun down. You're just allowing yourself to be consumed with busy work. And that was something that God was really convicting me of in this. He's like, Yes, you can be doing a work for the Lord, but is it part of the vision or are you just being consumed with busy work and saying, well, I'm doing something for the God, but is it, is it something that's contributing to the vision of what God has for you? And Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and I give them his instructions. That this is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy of a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Moses, you, you can't do it by yourself, man. You can't cast a vision. You can't lead the people and then be involved in every single little part of their lives. You can't carry this burden alone, Moses. You may think that you have to do it all on your own, but, but when you do that, you're just going to wear yourself down. Because the people you're doing all these things for, it's a disservice to them too because you're not the leader that they need you to be because you're just so consumed with everything. Sometimes we just need someone to come in our life and say, listen, your intentions are great, but you can't do it all on your own. It's time to ask somebody else for help. Verse 19 says, now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them the instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all people, from all the people, some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. He said, you need to go out there and you need to get some help. But Moses, don't just find somebody with a pulse and say, they're, they're, they're someone that's going to do it. But find some people with that same kind of heartbeat, the people who are following after the example that you're giving them, people that, you, that you're able to lead and, and give them some responsibilities. You've got to choose the right people, Moses. 
people who are capable. And when you find these people, you need to learn how to teach them. You need to pour into them. You need to, to, to develop them. You need to get them ready for what you're asking them to do. Verse 22 says, They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the small, smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making it easier for you. Not only does Moses have to seek out the right people, but he needs to train them. He also needs to empower them to give them authority to actually do what he's asked them to do. Probably most importantly, Moses, you got to trust them. Anyone ever been mismanaged or micromanaged before? It is the absolute worst feeling in the world. Nothing will make you feel like a failure quicker than someone micromanaging every single thing that you're trying to do. So he's telling Moses, listen, you're going to give them a responsibility. You pick them for a reason. Trust them. But what if they fail? What, what, what if they make a mistake? What if things don't go wrong? That's okay, Moses. You got to trust him anyways because they're part of the vision and we need each other. We can't just spend all the time looking at what everyone else is doing, trying to find something wrong. You got to focus on the bigger picture and trust that God is going to be with them. But also notice that Moses made it clear to them that some things they can't do on their own. There's going to be some major cases that they still need to go to Moses. Because there's the other flip side of that coin. Anyone ever worked with someone where they got just a little bit of authority, but you would have thought that they were king of the world? You can't do that either, Moses. You got to make it sure. They need to know what limits their authority has. You need to be clear with them, and you need to make sure that they understand what they can do and what they can't do. And when you're able to do all that, that's when you're able to achieve what God's called you to do. Moses was learning one of the most important lessons that any leader can learn in their life, And that's, we have to learn to delegate sometimes. You can't do it all on your own. Verse 23 says, If you follow this advice and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. And I just love how Jethro sums it up. If you learn to share your burden, you're going to be able to survive. And not only are you going to be able to survive, but there's going to be peace in the land. Sometimes as leaders, we get so carried away with thinking, I can't bother anyone else. I, I, can't, I have to do this on my own because there's no one else to do it. We need to inconvenience ourselves and inconvenience others and say, you know what, I need some help. I, I, I need you to do this. And before you know it, the, the weight of the world, it's, it's off our shoulders, and, and we're able to do so much more. We're able to achieve a greater vision when everyone just says, you know what, what can I do to help? Because Jethro was telling Moses, people, they want to help. They want to carry your burden, but you've got to learn how to ask. And when you share that, that burden, not only is the weight of the world going to be off yourself, but now everyone is involved, and there's going to be a peace that's throughout the land because of it. You keep on going down to Exodus 19, and we find Moses and the children of Israel in a very familiar place at Mount Sinai. And in verse 17, it says that Moses led them out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with, with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. And the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a a, a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. And as they blast, the ram's horn grew louder and louder, and as Moses spoke, God thundered his reply. And the Lord came down on the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain, so he climbed to the top of the mountain. Once again, God was trying to show all of Israel his power and his authority. It was very loud and, and, and terrifying, to be quite honest. But you get to the top of the mountain in, in, in Exodus 20, and that's where God gives uh, Moses the Ten Commandments. And it says that 
Then God gave all the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods before me. And you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or on the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God and will not tolerate your afflictions for any other gods. I lay my the, the sins of the parents upon the children and the entire family is, is affected. Even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. When I was growing up, I, I just heard, thou shalt have no, no idol worship, no gods before me. But he's making sure that they clearly understand no idol worship. I have to have an entire paragraph just for you to fully understand this. Verse 6 says, But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, and it's dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work, and this includes your sons, your daughters, your your male and female servants, your livestock. I always thought it was funny. How do you get your livestock to, to stop working? I know what they're talking about, pulling oxen and things like that, but it's just, it's amusing to me. No one's allowed to do work, not even the animals. No one can. Uh, and any foreigners that live among you. And in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and your mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor, and you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And what I didn't realize until I did this study was that the first time the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he only spoke them. At this point, he hasn't written anything down yet for Moses. These were just words that he spoke to Moses. And verse 18 says, And when the, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, And when they saw the flashes of lightning and smoke uh, billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered, for the Lord, for God has come to test you and so that your fear will keep you from sinning. And I feel like some parents in the house can relate here because sometimes you can be so nice and you can tell your kids, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And it doesn't seem to matter, but you get that dad voice on and you get real angry and you get real stern, then immediately it clicks and immediately they want to listen and, and do exactly what you have to do. God was telling them, I'm, I'm, I'm filling them with fear because I'm hoping fear will keep them from, from doing the bad things and finally listening to me. Verse 22 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. You saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from the heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. And at this point, Moses doesn't tell the children of Israel all the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave him, but the Lord made sure that this one commandment that he addressed with them right then. God knew that they were going to struggle with this, and he wanted to make sure that while they were full of fear, that he gave them as many warnings and as many chances as he could. 24 says, Build, build for me an altar made of earth and offer up your sacrifices to me your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever, wherever I cause my name to be remembered, and I will, 
and I will come to you, and I will bless you. And it was yet another promise from God. If you, if you sacrifice, if, if you remember my name, if you take time to, to dedicate yourselves to me, then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to bless you. And the next few chapters cover a lot of laws and regulations. And Moses gave the children of Israel super in-depth things on what to do in each situation. And I'm sure some of you would love to hear another half an hour of just rules and regulations of do's and do nots. You can read that on your own. We're going to skip those three chapters and go forward just a little bit. So Exodus 23 and 20, it says, "Uh, See, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you into safety to the place that I have prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful and obey him, following all of my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites and the Canaanites and the Hiveites and the Jebusites, so that you may live there. And I will destroy them completely. But you must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy and smash their their sacred pillars. The Lord knew that these false gods were going to be a temptation, something that the children of Israel were going to struggle with. And he told them, listen, I'm going to take care of the enemy. I'm going to completely destroy the enemy. But it was up to the children of Israel to destroy the sacred pillars. God says, I'll give you deliverance over the enemy, but it's your responsibility to remove the temptations from the land. God's going to give us the power over the enemy, but he's not going to remove every temptation that's before us. He said, I'll destroy the enemy. I've got your back 110%. It's your job to get over the temptations, and you've got to destroy the things that are set before you. Verse 25 says, you must serve only the Lord your God, and if you do, I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness there will be no miscarriages or infertility in your land, and, uh, and I will give you long, full lives. Once again, a promise to Israel. If you're obedient, then I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to give you all kinds of blessings that are going to come when you're obedient and you walk after me. And I don't about, know about you, but sometimes it doesn't feel like the Lord's walking before us, right? It feels like we're struggling with something, and you're like, what, what in the world, Lord? You said that you would always go before me. No, he said, I'd always go before you in times of your obedience. It's our disobedience. It's the things that we're not able to, to get past that is the reason why the Lord isn't going before us. Because we keep having to go back and find an altar of repentance. Because there's victory in obedience. There's, there's blessings in obedience. And we need to go before the Lord and let him bless us. But we can't do that if we keep struggling with disobedience and keep having to go back and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. He's like, I want to go before you but you're stuck where you are by your own disobedience. Verse 20 says, And I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all of them whose lands you invade. I will make your enemies turn and run. I will send terror ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites. And I love how the King James Version describes uh, that that word terror. It actually says, I'm going to send hornets before you. Anyone ever try to get rid of a hornet's nest before? They use terror for a reason. That is the most terrifying thing that I've ever tried to do in my life. Even in Moses' time, he said, I'm going to send the murder hornets. You just got to get behind them. But verse 29 says, But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals would multiply and they would threaten you. I can't do it all at once, Moses, because if I get rid of all of the enemy at once, 
then that land's not going to be protected. The animals are going to run wild, and you're going to have a different problem on your hand. But verse 30 says, I will drive them out a little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession over the land. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a slow work, but I'm taking my time because I'm allowing you to get the strength that you need in order for the battle that's going to be ahead. And I know a lot of us, when we pray to God, we want a quick work. But sometimes God says, you know what, you're not ready for a quick work. It's going to be a, it's going to be a process, but I'm going to bless you along the way. I'm going to keep my protection upon you each and every step of the way. Verse 31 says, And I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, from the eastern wilderness to the Euphrates River, and I will hand over, you, hand over to you the people now living in the land, and you will drive them out ahead of you. Make no treaties with them or their gods. They must not live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me. If you serve their gods, you will be caught up in the trap of idolatry. God, again, is warning them. He says, listen, the enemy is going to still be around for a, a little bit. But just because that means that they're around doesn't mean that you need to be socializing with them. You don't need to let them into your life. You must not let them into your land, because if you let them into your land, then you're going to sin against me. You're going to fall into this trap. There are some temptations that, that are going to, you're going to come across, and, and you're going to want to let it live in the, in the land. But God says, you know what? If you let it live in your land, you're going to struggle with it, and it's going, to, it's going to be sin, and it's going to ruin everything. He said, don't let temptation live in your land, or you're going to fall into its trap. There are some things that we need to stop letting live in our land. Some things that we've told ourselves that are harmless. Some areas that we said, well, that's just a gray area that God doesn't really care about. And we allow it to just stick around. I know there might be some potential for bad there, but, but I won't let it get that far. Yeah, that show that I watch, it's, it's probably not appropriate. And there's no way that I'd let my grandma sit next to me and watch it. But it's what everyone's talking about at work and about on a Facebook. So, so I'll just let it live in my land. There are some relationships we need to remove from our land. But how can I reach the lost if I don't socialize with, with, with the lost, right? There's a huge difference between socializing with, with the world and letting them live in your land. When your convictions change because of the people that you are around, when, when your attitude changes, when your speech changes, you're letting them live in your land. They need to get out. If you don't, they're going to destroy you. Because we've got a promise that's too great to compromise to allow sin in our land. Exodus 24, Moses goes back up to Mount Sinai for 40 days, and this time the Lord engraves the the commandments on stone tablets. And after 40 days, he gets ready to go down and to, to greet with the people. Exodus 25, and it says, The Lord spake unto Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly, that his heart, give it willingly with his heart, you shall take up my offering. And this is the point where he comes down with the law and they're getting ready to build their tabernacle and they're getting ready to do all these amazing things. And Moses goes before the people and he asks them to bring a willing offering. And God knew exactly how many jewels, how much gold, how much wood. He knew everything that he was going to need down to the specific measurement. He had a very specific plan for the tabernacle. He could have very easily told Moses, I need this much gold from these families and I need this much wood from these families and and this many jewels from this household. But instead, he asked them to give willingly to the work of the Lord. And you see what happens is the people were giving willingly. God's vision was able to come to be. Sometimes we get so caught up in what's the minimum. And I'm not preaching on just tithes here, but I'm also talking about our time. Lord, what's the minimum that I can give? What's the, the minimum that I can dedicate to you? 
I mean, God, I, I give you Sundays and Wednesdays, and that's more than a lot of so-called Christians do. I don't have time to teach a Bible study in the middle of the week. God, my Saturdays are precious to me. I can't go door knocking. God, I, 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 you know, I'll give freely in my finances, and, and I'll do what I can, but, but God, my, my time, that, that, that's, that's something I just want to hold on to. But see, once they were able to give willingly of everything, that's when God's vision was able to be achieved. And over the next few chapters, they talk all about the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, and there are some great series on that. I don't have the time nor the knowledge to teach that properly, so we're going to skip over all of that and go down to Exodus 31. And it says that in Exodus 31, it says, Then the Lord said before Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel and the son of Uri, grandson of her of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled them with the Spirit of God, giving them a great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. It was the Spirit of God that that gave him all the knowledge and the ability that he needed to, to do the job. God had a vision of what needed to be done, so he spoke to somebody and he gave them all the knowledge and and the wisdom that they would need to do it. God's going to equip you with every skill that you need to do what he, to do what he's called you to do. Sometimes we think God's called me to do this, and he has no clue who he called. He's going to equip you. He really will. Moses, in Exodus 32, he's back up to Mount Sinai with the Lord and the people. They're starting to get restless at this point. Remember, they know that God's talking with Moses, and they know exactly what's going on in the mountain because they were so afraid of the Lord's voice, and they asked for Moses to be the one to speak to God and not let God speak to them directly. And that's why it's so interesting in in the 32nd chapter of Exodus, it says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what will happen to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. They were literally being led by God by a pillar. And just because in that moment... And in that season, God chose to keep them where they were. They didn't want to wait. They decided to take matters into their own hands. We need to learn how to wait on the Lord. Because there are some times that we get to go forward, but there are some times we just need to stop. And we need to wait and be with God. And it's in those waiting points, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll let ourselves go to our own devices and our own knowledge. And we'll do things our own way because, well, we're not being led by God. The pillar hadn't moved. The pillar that was leading them was still there. They knew that they were being led by God, and it was God telling them to wait, but they didn't want to wait. And what I love is it says that uh, they they were angry at Moses. If you look back at verse 1, it says that they were looking to create gods to replace Moses. They weren't looking at to make gods to replace God, but they were looking at gods to to replace Moses because Moses was the one that got them out of Egypt. No, God got you out of Egypt. Moses was the vessel that God chose to use. And if we aren't careful, we allow ourselves to fall into the same trap. And instead of giving God his glory, what we do is we we begin to give glory to the vessel that God chooses to use. I talk about him all the time because Victor Jackson is one of my favorite preachers. The man has more impactful Facebook statuses than I do sermons. But it isn't Brother Jackson that's creating revival. But it's God using him as a vessel to bring miracles, signs, and wonders. He isn't doing anything on his own, and, and people glorify, and they put him up on this pedestal when, when really they should be putting God on that pedestal, saying, look what God did. God's so amazing. Because you see what happens is 
when we give an evangelist, a praise leader, even our own pastor credit for what God is doing, then when that human side shows up and they make a mistake, well, God failed me. God didn't fail you. You failed yourself by putting your faith in man instead of God. We get angry at God and we we turn our back on him and we say, the church did this to me and the church did that. No man did that to you. God didn't do that. The church didn't do that. It's because you put your, your faith and your belief in a vessel instead of God. We need to focus on God and not the vessel because vessels are going to fall at times. Vessels can hurt us. Vessels will most surely disappoint us at one point in our lives. And you know what? You may not be under the same pastor your entire life, but you're always under the same God your entire life. Because it's God that's in control. And it's God that's worthy of all the praise and the glory. Verse 2 says, So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And he took all the gold rings from their ears and he brought them to Aaron. Because guess what? Aaron was a vessel. He was given authority by God. But his words and his actions, although they may have been exactly what the people wanted to hear, they were against the very will of God. You see, if we... If we want to, we can find a preacher that's going to preach exactly what we want to hear, that's going to allow exactly what we want to do. But you know what? They're going to destroy us. That's why it's not good to just blindly believe what a minister says and say, you know what? Well, pastor said it. What did the word of God say? Did you take time to dig dig in there and see the will of God for yourself? Or are you just trusting blindly what someone's saying? When we trust blindly people, that's when we're opening up ourselves for a huge failure and disappointment. Verse 4 says that Aaron took the gold and he melted it down and he molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed and said, Oh, Israel, these are the gods that brought us out of the land of Egypt. And God blessed them with with these abilities to make the tabernacle. He blessed them with with the abilities to, to be gold craftsmen. And they took these talents and these abilities that God gave them. And instead of using them for what the Lord called them to do, they're wasting it on their own desires. Verse 7 says that the Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt, they have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and they made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. And I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. God is at the point where he's so angry with the disobedience and the rebellion that he wants to destroy all of Israel. But he still keeps his promise to Moses. And he says, listen, I promised you that you were going to be a leader of a nation. But I need to destroy all those that sinned against me. And I'll raise up a new new nation for you to lead. But verse 11 says, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord God, saying, Oh, Lord, why are you so angry with your own people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand. He's buttering up God. He says, listen, God, it's it's you that's done all this for us. Why let the Egyptians say that God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them off the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mindset about these terrible disasters you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven, and I will give them this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. I love how Moses used the promises of the Lord to spare the children of Israel. In the midst of what looked like an impossible situation, 
these people aren't worthy of a second chance. These people are worthy of your, of your wrath, God. And Moses prayed, you know what, God, they might be worthy of your wrath, but God, you still have a plan for them. God, you still have a promise that you need to keep for them. And we need some Moseses in the house today, some Moseses that say, Lord, listen, I understand that we've sinned against you, and there are some people that are worthy of your wrath, but God, I know you still have a plan for them. God, you still got a work to do in their lives. Lord, I might not be ready to give up on them just yet. There was something that my little son did the other night that, that really touched me because my mindset is, my, my, my heartbeat has been for the loss so much. Lord, praying specific things. Lord, I'm not giving up on these people. I'm not giving up on these people. And some people have hurt and done mean things to me, but I'm saying, you know what, God, I, I'm not giving up on these people. And Johnny, every night before we go to bed, we ask him, who do you want to pray for? I always, it's, it's Pastor, it's Sister Hannah and the boys and his friends, his people's. And then there's one friend that he mentioned by name and says, let's pray for them to come back to church. When children at three years old get invested and say, you know what? We need to pray for them to come back to church. If we can get that same mindset and pray that, that, that same way that Moses is praying, saying, Lord, they're worthy of destruction, but you know what? I'm not ready to give up on them yet. God, you've got a plan for them. Lord, there's something you need to do with them. They're not gone. They're not lost just yet. They're just waiting on you to get invested in their lives again. Verse 14 says, So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he threatened to bring to his people. And Moses turned and he went down the mountain, and he held in his hand the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These were the tablets of God's work. The words of them were written by God himself. And when Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like there's a war in the camp. And Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. What I hear is the sound of a celebration. Israel's celebration, Israel's party, Israel's rebellion and disobedience. Joshua said, what I hear is I hear a sound of war, and I'm getting ready for battle. The world is having this great big party. They're consumed with themselves. They're living it up. But we need some Joshua's that say, you know what? What I hear is I, I hear the sound of war. I hear, I hear God getting ready to go to battle. I, 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 you might see that they're celebrating, having a good time, but God's about to intervene and he's about to do something because they're worth fighting for. Verse 19 says that when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and, and all the dancing and he burned with anger and he threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain and he took the calf they had made and he burned it. Uh, then he ground it into power, powder. He threw it in the water and he forced the people to drink it. Moses made them drink the golden calf. He wanted to be, them to become sick with their own sin. Because even though God is a merciful God, there's going to be consequences to our actions. And then verse 21. Finally, he turned to Aaron and he demanded, What did these people do? What did these people do to you to bring them such terrible sin upon them? Aaron, what, I left you in charge. What, what, what did they do? How did, how did they convince you to do all this? And Aaron says, don't get so upset, my Lord. You yourself know how evil these people are. It's not my fault, Moses. You know the people. I was set up from failure to begin with. You gave me people that just had no good intentions. It's not my fault. But don't you worry. That's not the most terrible excuse he has just yet. Verse 23 says, they said to me, Make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told him, whoever has gold, jewelry, take it off. 
Then they brought it to me, and I simply threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. The calf was created accidentally. Moses, it must have just been meant to be because, you know what, we just, we just left it up to chance, and, and this is what happened. It's a straight-up, bold-faced lie. There was a plan all along. But if we aren't careful, we'll allow ourselves to believe that lie. Well, I didn't know that this is where it would end up. I didn't mean for it to happen this way. Knowing full well when you started down that path, this is where the road was going to lead you. I'm going to make some people mad tonight, but that's okay because this is what God woke me up in the middle of the night with the other day. He said, you know why? Well, why did the people have enough gold that they were able to create a golden image? Because if you remember earlier, we talked about it, and Moses asked the people to willingly bring an offering before the Lord. So why was there enough gold left to make an idol? It's because they were still keeping something back from the Lord. Something that that had value to them. And for us, it might not be gold. For most of us, it's not. I don't think I have much gold to my name. But it's it's our time. It's it's our finances. It, It could be that thing that you're just not ready to let go of yet. And you've convinced yourself that, you know what? It doesn't matter to God anyway, so I'm just going to hold it back. I don't need to willingly give it before the Lord. Lord, I know you put a burden in me to give in a special offering, but you know I worked that overtime, and I didn't work overtime to just waste it away. I, I deserve to spoil myself with nice things. And Lord, I love you, but I just need some me time sometimes. I feel a burden to go, to go into a prayer closet, but God, I know the moment I get in there, I'm going to be stuck in there for hours, and I've got laundry to fold, and I've got things to do. Lord, it's my time right now. It's not prayer time. Lord, I will give you my life, but don't let me give up my desires. Lord, I will give you my life, but it's okay for me to still watch filth and nudity because I'm a grown man and I can watch R-rated movies if I want to. When we come to the point in our lives where we don't see God moving and directing us, when we get to that point in our lives where we come at a standstill, what happens is instead of waiting on the Lord and, and, and allowing him to do a work in our lives, we allow ourselves to be consumed with the poor decisions of the things that we've held on to that we said, this is, this is just in case. This is something I need just in case. And it's those things that we allow to, to hold on to that's going to destroy us. And what happens is, is we come to God, a broken sinner, and say, God, it was never my intention. God, I didn't mean for it to go this far. Lord, it's not my fault. You know the desires that I've been struggling with. And God just said, you know what I need? Is I need less excuses, and I need people to just give me their all. To come brokenhearted and say, you know what, Lord, I don't want to hold anything back from you, God. Because if I know if I hold something back, Lord, that that I could give willingly, Lord, it could end up destroying me. And God, I don't want there to be anything that separates me from your will today. Those things that we willingly hold on to, those things that, that the enemy has convinced us are harmless, but they're still important enough for us to keep around. If we're not careful, one day they will become the idol that we build that gets between us and God. Lord, I just want to give it to you all today, God. Lord, my mind, my finances, my time, Lord, everything. Lord, I don't want to hold anything back from you, God. If there's something in my household, Lord, something in my, in my thoughts, Lord, I don't need justification. Lord, I need you to take it from me today, God. I need you to give me the strength today. Verse 25 says, Moses saw Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. It was in their time of waiting that they allowed themselves to lose all control. Lord, help me keep my focus on you and your promises. 
God, in the times of my life where it feels like I'm just stuck and I feel like I'm going nowhere, Lord, allow me to realize that you are still there, Lord, that you're still the one directing my path. And thankfully, that's not the end of the story for Moses and the children of Israel. But it took Moses a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of crying out to the Lord. But God eventually renews his covenant with Israel. And after he does, I love what what God tells Moses in Exodus 34.10. It said, the Lord replied, listen, I am making a new covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power that I will display before you. See, the enemy thought that he had finally got the victory over Israel because they had finally done something that God wouldn't forgive. Israel had sinned so greatly that the enemy thought God's surely going to turn their back on, his back on them this time. But not only did God go and restore his promise back to Israel, he says, you know what? I'm going to do a greater work. I'm going to do something that's never been done before. I'm still going to use you, and it's going to be something even bigger than what you could have imagined. If we could all stand, we're going to get ready to dismiss in prayer. But God, my prayer is that, Lord, you put a a burden in each and every one of us tonight. God, a a burden to be a blessing to each other. Lord, in in times of weakness, Lord, that we might be able to to unify. Lord, that we might be able to to support one another. Lord, for you are our our Yahweh Nisi, God, our our banner, Lord, our rallying cry tonight. And God, I'm asking that you just give us a burden for the lost like never before, Lord. One that we might be able to impact our world. Lord, help us to give up everything and everything in our lives to you. Lord, not holding anything back tonight, but, but willingly giving it to you. Lord, reveal, reveal to us tonight, Lord, things that, that might be later put before you and, and made an idol between you and us, Lord, and let us remove it now. And lastly, God, I want to thank you for the promises that, that you've given us, God, the work that you're about to do, because God, you said that there's going to be a work that's done like never before. Lord, that something that's going to be, there's going to be miracles that have never been seen before, Lord. And I'm claiming that promise today, Lord. I thank you for what we were to come in here on Sunday, God. I thank you for, for, for backsliders that they're going to be in the building, Lord. I thank you for alcoholics that you're going to bring into the building on Sunday, Lord. I thank you for, for drug, for drug addicts that are going to be here on Sunday, Lord, because those are the promises that I'm praying, God. The, the promises that I'm claiming on to, Lord, because it, it, it's your will, Lord. And we thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this church. In Jesus' name. You are dismissed.